Well, we're going to study the topic of faith for the next few weeks. Turn with me over to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. The title of the message is Faith to Move Forward, Faith to Move Forward, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive that which was promised. 37, for yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not de delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Lord, help us as we study your word today. Four things about which I'd like to speak to you on this passage. One, our confidence. Two, our continuance. Three, his coming. And four, his ability to make sure that we are covered, um, saved, and preserved. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know, uh, but, but I, I have a feeling it was Paul. Now, no one has put their, their name to this letter, and, and scholars for, for millennia, too, now, have tried to figure out who wrote it. But it had to be somebody who had a, a good understanding of Hebrew history and of Hebrew culture with respect to worship. Couldn't just be a guy. Sounds like he had to be involved in what it was like to set up the order of worship for the Hebrews, the Jewish people. And he had to have a unique perspective on how that applies to the redemptive benefit brought through the cross. Very few people could apostolically, governmentally, bring all of that together in one letter. Some people believe that it wasn't Paul because the writing is different. The style is different. Well, when you are trying to communicate at a very high level to a group of people that need, need convincing of who Jesus is, and many of them understand everything about Old Testament writings and the requirements that the priests had, you're communicating at Ph.D. level, not at blog level. You write differently. So the epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, are all at blog level. Talking to church leaders who need to understand things at an elementary level, talking to church members who understand it even at lower level. Um, but when you're talking to the elite intellectually, you write differently. A PhD is very different. A dissertation, very different than a biography, very different than a novel. And so Paul could have employed a different style of writing to communicate to a different audience. Still, we don't know who it was, but I think it was that guy. And as he's writing, he's doing his best to try to figure out how he can get the Hebrews, who are now Christians, not all of them, but the people to whom he's writing, how he can get them to employ faith on a regular basis and not suffer the same difficulty and consequences that their forefathers suffered as they were going through the wilderness or being disobedient to God even in the promised land. How can we learn from their mistakes so that we don't repeat them? We want to enter into our promised land, our land of promises, by incorporating faith on a regular basis and not repeating the same mistakes they made of doubt and unbelief. In this passage here, he says the first thing 
they need to con concentrate on is making sure they don't lose their confidence. Do not lose your confidence because it has a very great reward. And when he speaks of confidence, he's speaking about the boldness necessary to move forward. Now, if you look in previous verses, he says, do you remember when you, when you helped people who were helpless, they didn't have any hope, and, and you came to the rescue and delivered them from that which was oppressing them. And after you did it, you thought you received a reward, but they took your house. The government took your house. They confiscated your property. Do you remember how you endured that? Well, now you're going through more. You would think that that would be enough. We as Americans barely, if ever, experience persecution. The difficulty we experience is called inconvenience. It's not persecution. Nobody is trying to put a gun to your head and say, deny Jesus or die. That just doesn't happen very often in America. Nobody's trying to take our church property or your home because you believe in Jesus or increase your taxes to double because you're a Christian. That happens around the world, but not here. So persecution is something foreign to us. And, and we, we kind of, we, we, think, we think it's an enemy. Now, there's no question that persecution is not enjoyable. And it's not something we need to seek. But Jesus said, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. Because a servant can't be above his master, nor can a pupil be above his teacher. If they hurt me, they're going to hurt you. Now, it's not that we need to just say, oh, I'm just a little lamb ready for the slaughter. But we do need to understand this, that persecution is our inheritance. It's a part of what we get to go through to identify with Christ. If you don't suffer for him, Romans 8 says, if you don't go through the suffering, you won't inherit the glory. And so dying for Christ sometimes means physically doing so. It means giving up something that you'd rather hold on to. And these people, they had already gone through some stuff. They had had their property confiscated. And now, if they thought was the point of the end, it can't get any worse than that, right? I mean, they came and took my home. My whole family's homeless now. Then it got stepped up. And confidence begins to be shaken when you are disappointed in what you think God ought to do for you. Your disappointment begins... To, to, to take the steering wheel and say, wait a minute, I thought, I thought you would show up in this way. I thought you would help me here. And we went through some bad times, God. That was horrible. I don't want to do that anymore. Where were you? And you hear testimonies of other people that talk about how God delivered them and he showed up at the last minute. And you think, well, I know the Lord's going to do that for me. And, and then all you, you wind up at the last minute and it... it and from your perspective, he didn't show. He didn't show. And you say, well, wait, why did, why did I? And now you've been through a difficult point and your house is gone. You lost your possessions. You lost your hope. You lost something you really wanted. And it's time to do your devotion on Monday morning. And where you used to be inspired because you never came to the end of something and didn't see God come through. Now you come to the end of something and you didn't see him come through like you thought. You're thinking, ah, I'll put it on snooze. I'll get up, get up a little later. And then you don't get up. 
is a little bit early for you now to come to church. And then you put it on 12.45, and then you wind up getting up at 2 and never making it. Life group just doesn't seem to be the thing. Your prayer partner doesn't hear from you. They're sending you emails and texts. Where are you? I I missed you at 5 a.m. Disappointment on what you thought God needed to do for you has taken the steering wheel of your life. And now you've lost something that you didn't think you needed to lose. And we always think we are a little bit more mature than we really are. We always think, I don't need to go through that. I've arrived. God just, he, all he needs to do is, is back up the dump truck of blessing. Open the back, back lever and just let it pour out. I'm ready. I am ready. I've been coming to church regularly. I've been reading my Bible. I've been treating my wife, my husband. Well, I'm trying to be a great dad. I'm tithing on top of that. I go to small group meetings, men's meetings. I, I'm showing up. I'm, I'm ready. Bless me, oh God, bless me. <laughs> and we think it's formulaic. We think that if we plug this formula together, in, surely it'll equal that. And it's all about character. It's not about formula. This isn't about plug and play. This is about working with a God who knows you well and he knows you better than you and becoming what he wants you to be, not what you think you need to be. And so sometimes you need to come to the end of yourself to find the beginning of him. And the end of yourself means this. You throw away your confidence. Somehow you just let it sprout wings and fly away. When In actuality, when he brings you to the end of yourself... That is the, 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 the opportunity for you to find where he wants to do some things that he could not have done had you not gotten here. Which bleeds into the next point. Continuance. We have need of endurance. We think we have come far enough. But all of us, if you've lived long enough, get to the place where you say, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. It's just too hard You'd be surprised what you can take. You'd be surprised. We just give up too early. And he says you have need of endurance. Why? Because your confidence that is employed in the area of perseverance gives you a great reward. There is something at the end of the moment that is defined by God, not by you. The end is defined by him, not by you. You can't say when you're done. He understands what the recipe is to get you to be as done as you ought to be. He started something. He's going to finish something. You can't. You can't determine when the end is. Your job is just to keep going till you get there. You stay on the road. Do not exit early. And you keep driving. He'll provide the resources, the strength, the petrol to get there. But you stay on the road and keep going due north. And if you do, you'll wind up at the place where the reward is great and it's more than what you wanted as a result of your perseverance. Meaning that you will get that which you wanted in the end, but you'll get so much more. What will you get? God, God treats me interestingly. And, And I'm not mad at him about it. I've just gotten used to it. Disappointment has been a part of my life. Come to a place where you think he's going to do something and he doesn't do it in your timing or the way you want. And I say, well, wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm not trying to do something bad. I'm trying to do something good. It didn't work out. To, I, I, I thought it was going to be this, but it didn't. And I, you, but the good thing is I become disappointed so much 
then now I realize, oh, he wants to do something better. Because every time I got disappointed in what I thought he needed to do, he always did something better. I said, okay, this disappointment is a sign to me. I'm about to, I'm, if I stay on the road, I'm about to experience something beyond that which I thought I was going to receive. And in the process, I grow through the moment rather than just go through the moment. And there's a reward I receive at the end. And I'm telling you this. The reward I get at the end is more valuable to me in character than in receiving that which I wanted. When we got this building, I was really happy. It's paid for. This particular place in which you're sitting is paid for. We, we, we did the whole building with cash. That building over there, which is the children's area, is not. So we're going to embark on a campaign here in a little bit to try to pay that thing off. But everybody says, Pastor, you paid for this building? That's amazing. I said, yeah, yeah, we're really grateful. God treated us better than we deserve. It wasn't us, it was him. Though he used us, it was him and his inspiration, and we give him all the credit. And as glad as I am, happier every day I walk in this building than the day before. That's the way I am, happier. As glad as I am about this building, I was more happy about the process. Because we had single mamas trying to figure out how in the world to give resources to the building when they didn't have any. Our last push was to buy chairs, and each chair cost 1000 and, and, and no, you didn't get to put your, your name on the chair. It wasn't your chair. But it was a way for us to inspire people to have something they could touch and say, this is what your money is going toward. And, and single mamas had a, had a small group in our church. A bunch of them. We have a bunch of them. But this particular small group had about 20 single mamas in it. You know, I said, you know what? We can give $50. And this whole small group can buy a chair. When I heard that, I cried. I said, Lord, I didn't know that would happen on the way to getting what I wanted. I didn't know. A young boy who had uh, uh, saved up money, and mama and dad had given him money, this was years ago now, to buy his first iPod. Remember when they made those things? <laughs> and he was seven. He was so excited. He's going to get his first iPod. And he came <clears throat> to his mom and dad and said, Mom and Dad, I, I really, really think Jesus wants me to give this, this money to the building program. They came to me as we were coming into the building to have a prayer meeting. This is when there was concrete, no chairs, nothing, just stuff that was architecture and rough ends. And he said, our boy wants to give the money. I, and we were having a prayer meeting in here. And I said, this is amazing here. Y'all listen to the story. I told the story. Everybody said, oh, man, what am I complaining about? Now, that kid got like five iPods. <laughs> Everybody came in and said, I'll pay for it. Don't worry about it. It's a good thing. But the on-the-way stuff, what God did through us and to us was more valuable than getting what we wanted. He increased us and made us different. That's the reward is that we all become more like Jesus. And when you get to the thing, you're happy about it. But not near as happy as, as about what you became. And that's the beauty of the endurance needed, is that God gives you more than you ever thought you would receive when you get to your destination. You not only get the thing, you get him. 
And there are a lot of people who get the thing but never get him. The reward is him. A great reward. But you have need of endurance. And after you have endured a little while, you'll get what is promised. There's always endurance in this Christian walk. Everybody in the Old Testament and New, for that matter, had to go through stuff to get what they needed. Abraham, I want you to go to a land that you know not. And when you get, you, when you get there, I'll tell you where you are. It'll be the, I'll let you know this is, this is a spot. And when you get there, there's not going to be anybody who's going to lay out a red carpet for you. I'm giving you the title deed, but nobody's going to care about what I've signed on for you. And so they're all going to think it's, it's their property. And you're not going to be treated hospitably. And it's going to be hard. You have to make some very difficult decisions. But I want you to know, I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give it to your, your kids. He comes in at 75. By 99, he still doesn't have possession of it through his inheritance because he doesn't have the right child. He's got a child, but he didn't have a child through his wife. He had a child through her maidservant. God comes to Abraham and says, uh, this time next year, you're going to have a baby. This stalwart of faith, this man from whom we learn so many lessons about what it means to believe, icon of virtue and steadfastness, says this to God. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Lord, you know I'm 99, and Grandma over here, she's 90. We are way past childbearing. And we've got a nice condo in Tampa. We're trying to figure out how to, how, to, how to retire over there on the beach. We're not trying to figure out how to do diapers again. I don't want to chase around a two-year-old. Old that Ishmael might live before you. Can't this one inherit? He's got my genes. He was birthed through me. Can't he be the one? Do we really need to go through this again? He wasn't thinking about his wife. Just thinking about him. Sarah was about to be the first woman in all of Scripture to experience a miracle. Birth of a child. A miracle child. Now, Abram had prayed for a whole group of people from another group of folks that, that were barren for a moment because of some things that happened and they birthed, and so that can be defined as a miracle. But this one here, wow. A woman who was 90 was going to give birth to her first child. Now, we have all the details in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, God kind of erases all the flaws. It says Abraham was a man who was steadfast, unwavering in his faith. <laughs> Isn't it good that God takes an eraser to your life? I mean, do you want everything you've ever done wrong to be exposed to everybody? Took an eraser to all the flaws and said, this is how I view you. Now, in our book, there's a difference between getting an A plus and a C minus. Isn't it? But if you get a C minus, you still pass, right? Yeah? Okay, so, so God looks at Abraham and says, passed. It's kind of like this. Aren't you happy they don't put your GPA on your diploma? <laughs> Now, y'all getting it now. Woo! Or require it on your resume, 2.2. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Most of us get C's, C minus, but we pass. The humanity 
that, that we possess gets in the way too often. But the issue is us enduring and not quitting, even if it means at the last few, place, last few yards to the finish line, we're crawling. We're not even walking anymore. At least we haven't given up. You have need of endurance in everything within us. It tries to say, I can't do this anymore. It's too difficult. My soul is too broken. I've experienced so much disappointment. You helped them, but I haven't seen you come through for me. And everything within us wants to quit. But you need to consider quit a four-letter word. As long as you've got breath, you've got hope. You get up every morning. And even though it doesn't feel right, you do right. Has nothing to do with what you see around you. It has everything to do with what you don't see. Your eyes will deceive you. Your mind will play tricks on you. Your ears won't let you hear what you need to. You need to get in this Bible every day of your life to let it determine what your reality is. So that when you face adverse circumstances that are telling you what God said won't happen, you say, no, I know what I heard. When you see things that begin to fall apart with respect to the, the process that you believe is most conducive to fulfilling your purpose, you say, no, I've seen the purpose for which he has for me, and I know that this is going to be an amazing testimony. He's just building it up so that the opposition makes me sound even stronger and him better when we get to the end. You don't quit, and you keep going. You get up every day. And you do the right thing, even if it doesn't seem like the right thing is going to mean anything. And you watch God come through because he doesn't lie. He is faithful to his word. He will support your lot. He will help you. And you will be different in the end if you'll have a faith like this, rather than just always being rescued. Crying out to him, oh, it ain't working. Beauty is this. None of us have responded perfectly in faith, and we're still here. Right. So our God is not dependent on your perfection in faith in order to, to bring you to the ultimate end. He's not. In fact, he can probably do it better without you. But the reality is he wants you to participate so that you grow through the process and thereby be a witness of who he is in the earth to everybody else who has no hope. People are looking at you. When you say you're a believer, they are looking at you. How do you respond to difficulty? When your baby's in the hospital, when your marriage is falling apart, when your health seems to be on the brink, how do you respond? Do you complain all day long? Is there anything on the inside of you that, 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 that says, God, even in the midst of this, I know I don't feel right today. I know there are things going that, that shouldn't be going on in my body. But when I go to work today, I'm going to have a smile on my face. And it's not going to be fake. It's going to be because I believe what I don't see. And I know to be true what I don't feel. I'm trusting you, oh God. And I'm not quitting on you. I'm building my confidence. Because I have need of endurance. So that I might obtain the promise. Now, what happens is this. That when you exercise endurance, faith, don't let your confidence go on what God wants to do for you. God's going to show up. It says, for he is coming and will not delay. Now, from your perspective, he's always late. <laughs> he's always late. He never shows up when you want. 
But remember, he, he never endorsed your plan. He didn't endorse your timing. He's doing something different to produce more than what could ever be produced by, by signing on to your plan. And so he's coming. He's on the way. He's right around the corner. You just need to get up every day and believe that he is. Now, when it, <clears throat> when it says he is coming, all of we Christians who understand something about the second coming impose that idea on this whenever we see it in the New Testament, him coming. It could be that he's mentioning, making note of the fact that Jesus is bodily returning and then going to wind up everything in a culminative culminative event. But I like to think of it differently. Not just that, but inclusive of the fact that I need Jesus to show up in my life today. I need his presence to help me today. And that I believe that he is coming to me. And listen, there is nothing about my life that is perfectly in order with respect to the fulfillment of all things. Though I am blessed beyond that which I thought I could ever be. There's no complaint in my soul. Yet there are things that have not happened that I need to have happen in my life and in my ministry. Yet I wake up every day thinking, Lord, you treated me better than I deserve. I'm happy. I'm never going to be dissatisfied with how you treated me. But yet I know I'm not satisfied with everything that, that is, that, 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 not satisfied with respect to everything that needs to happen because I still keep waking up. And if I'm still waking up, that means that I've got things to do today to fulfill more of what God has called in my life. And so I've got more stuff to do. I pursue more stuff. I'm not just sitting on the laurels or the things that he's already done. Having said that, I need him today to come into my life to inspire me about not only what he has done, but what he will do. Listen to me, y'all. I'm going to be a little probably more transparent than I should be. I'm 57. I ain't old, but I ain't young. And I've done enough now where if God called me home to glory, I'd be good. I never thought you'd be here. I never thought this building would be built. I was just hoping someday when I first got right with God that I have a little church of about 200 people that can justify to my mama that it was really worth me going into ministry. (laughs) I'm not kidding. That's all I wanted. If I could just make mama happy with me. That's all I wanted. And maybe my family be saved and not talk about me bad anymore because I wasted my biology degree on ministry and I wasn't even trained for it. And I was out there on the street and nobody was asking me to preach. And they looked at me as a vagabond. And that was my story. Lord, just please give me credibility. (laughs) Please, Lord, give me credibility. And as I stayed on the road, he began to expand my idea of why I'm on the planet. And it got bigger and bigger. I said, Lord, I can't can't do that. I'm just a little boy from Kansas. I I can't do that. And he said, I know. That's why I'm calling you. I can't. And every day I just showed up to work. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about in his presence. I showed up to work and said, Jesus, I know who I am. And it's, I'm really disappointed with, with who I am. I'm not what I should be. And I don't know how in the world you're going to eke out enough juice from this little black man's life to make a difference. I, I just don't think there's enough juice that's worth the squeezing. So, Lord, you're going to have to do a miracle in me. And every day I showed up, he did a little bit more. I got up this morning and prayed. He inspired me with stuff. And I, if I never heard from him again, that'd be okay. Because he's inspired me with enough that I have to do and who I am to last for a lifetime, maybe three. But he continued to tell me how much he loves me and what he's got for me today. I just said, holy ghost, you are too good to me. Thank you. Thank you. 
thank you for coming today. Coming to me today. I don't know that I even needed those words. But that's how much you care for me. He will come and not delay. The Lord wants to come to your life in special ways regularly. It shouldn't have to be just a 911. Not an emergency call for the tow truck to pull you out of the ditch into which you have driven your life. It should be a regular attendance every day. Jesus, how you doing today? What do you want me to do? Do you have new directives? Are you going to inspire me something fresh? And it might be that he just reminds you of what's not been accomplished yet. That's okay. You need remi reminding. But you need to experience his coming to you regularly. And that kind of relationship should not be dependent on whether he answers your prayers. We're not talking about him coming to you on the basis of giving you the answer you need. We believe in prophetic ministry here. <clears throat> Meaning there are prophets in the church that can come and encourage people with words they hear from God for somebody else. We use it. We have prophets in our church responsible. They have to be according to the word of God. Only for encouragement, consolation, and comfort. Those things which aren't necessarily directive, but those things which are confirming to the life of the believer. We believe in prophecy that is according to the will of God. But when people come and they want to receive something from a prophet, they're hoping that the prophet speaks to their situation. I got this, uh, Lord, this, this man I'm thinking about marrying, and, and I'd really like some, some, some confirmation as, as according. He, I know he doesn't love you, but I'm hoping the prophet can help me figure out how in the world to make it work. Because like, He's got a job. <laughs> and you're trying to manipulate the circumstances in your own mind through your prayer life to hope that God would fix what you've started wrong. And the prophet doesn't say anything with respect to what you think he needs to address. God starts talking about your life and undresses you in a wonderful way. You need to love me more. Stay in my word. And I'll say, well, that didn't answer anything I wanted. Right. Right. He's coming to help you. Help you. And he's got a different agenda than yours. Come in line with what he desires. He will come and he will not delay. And whenever he comes, even though you think it's a little bit late and it may not be the, the way you want him to come, he is coming right on time with solutions that are most important to your situation now. Just stay on the road. Don't lose your confidence. And then lastly, he comes with the kind of stuff that allows us the privilege of knowing how to, to respond. He says, my righteous one will live by faith. His desire to cover and, and bring continuance to your life allows you the privilege of understanding how we ought to live by faith. Faith is the stuff that doesn't just get you to heaven. Faith is the stuff that needs to be employed now. James says this, if your faith doesn't work in such a way that it's evident that you actually believe in God to everybody else, your faith is dead. If they can't tell you're a believer by the way you live and your faith is exercised, then to them, your faith is dead. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean it doesn't work all the time. In other words, you might have, your name is secured in glory, but it doesn't make any difference here. And our faith ought to be two-pronged. One, that which allows us the privilege of knowing that there's nothing we can do 
to stop the process of us entering into heaven when we die. That if you have really surrendered your life to Christ, there's not a sin big enough to stop that, that continuance. But there's also a faith that allows us to understand that we need to get busy down here. That he's given us talents, if you will. Those things that the master dispensed to those servants after he went on a long journey in Matthew 25. Talents happened to be resources, not the ability to sing and play piano. Resources that were given to people. He said, work with this until I return. Jesus left. He asks us to work with the stuff he's given us. What are you doing with that which he has given? He's given you this gospel. How are you working with that? Have you doubled it? Meaning, if you received it, that's one. Have you given it to anybody else and produced something whereby it makes two? That's doubling. You got to work with the stuff God's given you. That's what faith does. My righteous one will live by faith. When you are in unusually difficult circumstances, what happens to your faith? Boy, that's a moment it needs to kick in. Usually fear begins to kick in. And let me tell you what fear is. Fear is faith in the wrong thing happening. You are now engaged fully in in a pessimistic view of life. And you're scared about life and, and what it holds. Faith says this, I've seen God in this circumstance before, and if you haven't seen it in the circumstance in your personal life or in somebody else's, that's why you need to read your Bible every day. Because somebody in the Bible has been through what you're going through. And you can see how either they responded poorly or how they responded well and how God delivered. Faith is what we live by. We do not allow the present circumstances to inform our decision making. It's not that faith is blind in that it doesn't recognize what is seen in the natural. It's that faith supersedes what is seen in the natural because it sees something different, something other. I know what I've seen in the spirit. I know what I've heard in God. And even though that doesn't fit what I know to be true, I'm trusting that the Lord is going to fix all that in order to bring about his will in my life. That's faith. My righteous one will live by faith. He who shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. His contentment is really, should be really important to us. That's what the word pleasure means here. My soul has no pleasure. My soul is not content with him. Every day we need to want to figure out how we can make God happy, not just figure out how to not make him mad. Most Christians are really pretty satisfied if they don't blow it. In fact, they're almost happy. It's one of these... Jesus, I didn't sleep with her. <laughs> um, a few years ago, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, we went to uh, England with the Washington Redskins, the team for whom I'm chaplain, and we played the Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, we played to a, to a 28-28 tie at the end of the game. And we had to play another period called overtime. And once we played the fifth quarter... We were still tied. That's a long way to go to tie. Went in the locker room. I can't tell you what ball players were saying. <laughs> Helmets were being thrown. Words were being spoken. It was like we had lost the Super Bowl. And I said, huh. I wish Christians would respond like that. 
See, the only people that are happy with ties are those that are used to losing. Anybody who's used to winning and realize the work that it takes to get a W, not happy with the tie because all that work wasn't for that. But anybody who's used to losing says, whoo, at least I didn't lose. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> and all day long, we're tying, and we consider it victory. Now, it's better than a defeat. No question. I'm glad you didn't sleep with her. Good. But there's an advancing that needs to go on that did not happen simply because you didn't sin. All you did was not lose. That's how messed up we are. We are happy with just not losing. My righteous one, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. When I was growing up, uh, we, we, weren't, we weren't poor, uh, but, but we, we had a moment where we had a deficiency of resources. We lived in the suburbs, in white suburbia, in the 60s. And so my dad had some resources, but my mother and father divorced. And when that happened, resources went down the tubes. And child support, all that just didn't work out the way it should. I didn't, I wasn't a part of it, obviously, I was just a kid. But we had a Dodge Dart car. And this, this Dodge Dart one day had too many miles on it. And we went, Mama, we went out to uh, the car in the morning. Mom was going to take us to school, and the car wouldn't go in reverse. The transmission had failed. You go, in, you go forward, we wouldn't go in reverse. So my brother and I got out, and we pushed the car. We, we thought we were some. I was only 12. My brother was 8. We pushed the car down the driveway into the street. And uh, we thought Mama was going to get it fixed next week, but she didn't have the money. So for two and a half, three years, we drove with a car that didn't have reverse. Now, you, you've got to think. You've got to think every time you get in the car, how you're going to navigate around not being able to go in reverse. Do you do that? Because you can't go in reverse. You can't go in reverse. When you shrink back, God has no pleasure. Every day of your life, you need to navigate around the idea you can't go in reverse. I'm telling you, it was something. You go into a parking lot, you think, okay, I need to go into the drive all the way through the first slot to get to the second slot. And if I can't do that, it's got to be on, a, on an angle <laughs> so I can drift back. Or I have to wait till the other guy comes out in order to drive forward. You had to think about how you weren't able to go in reverse. That's why your devotional life is really important. Because your devotional life prepares you so you never go in reverse. Coming to church prepares you so you never go in reverse. Are you listening to me? God has no pleasure when you go backwards. No pleasure. So figure out a way before the need is there. When you think, oh, this is an opportunity for me to go backwards. Figure out a way where you don't do it. And what happens? Your soul is saved to the preservation of your soul. And again, we look at this as being eternal. Eh, yes, it is. But so many souls are messed up today. Broken, hurt, injured, sour, bitter. Because they entered into sin going backwards. And they weren't saved from the damage that was caused to their soul. 
God wants to save you from the damage that can be caused to your soul by not having you go backwards. What do we call it in the church? Backsliding. Don't do that. Figure out a way. Navigate around the idea that your car is never supposed to go in reverse. You're never supposed to put it in that gear. And realize forward is the only way you go. And your soul will be saved from injury and need, and, and need of recovery and all the things that you're going to have to go through repentance. And I'm sorry to people and hurting folks and marriages messed up. Just don't go in reverse. And you will save your soul from a lot of junk. This is what it means to move forward. Faith to move forward.